Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. I'm really excited that you guys are here. Uh, my name is Danny, if you're brand new. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. So excited that you guys came. Uh, they asked me in the back to, to mention that we have a 9 o'clock service as well. Uh, so I don't know if you thought maybe this was the only service that we had, but uh, in, all, in, all, in all honesty, uh, if 50 or 60 of you were like, yeah, 9 o'clock doesn't bother me, that would be great, because right now we have people sitting on top of fire hydrants, so it's just a, it's a full place. But we're, we're really excited. God is doing some, some great stuff. And uh, we're in a series called Dragons and Dandelions, and we're in week three. And uh, I'll just give you kind of a quick recap. The first week, if you haven't listened, uh, maybe check back online, but we, we asked people to, to receive a reckless invitation to be honest about their stuff, the stuff that no one knows about, the stuff that keeps them from really experiencing life as, uh, in its wholeness. And we asked people if they would be willing to take about an eight-week journey with us as a church and engage in that part of their story, not just the, 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 the easy things, the things we all talk about, the things we post, but actually our, our stuff, the, the things that impact us. The following week, we had a, a huge turnout of people who said, yeah, okay, I'm in. And we talked about bringing, if we're going to do this, we're going to bring all of it. We're going to bring our whole humanity to God and be authentic, authentic with him about what it is we're dealing with, what it is we're wrestling with. Because it's one thing to bring your stuff, it's another thing to bring your stuff to God. And just give it to him and share, this is, this is who I am. Now, I realize in a room like this that I'm talking to a, a myriad of people at all different kinds of places along their spiritual journey. So let me just say, to those of you who don't believe in God, to those of you who uh, you're wrestling, you're contemplating, you're here because a girl who's pretty invited you, those kind of folks, uh, you are welcome here. And here's, here's my thing. Here's all I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you just open up and give this idea a shot. That for 30 minutes, you bring all your stuff, all your logic, all your, all your knowledge, everything you know, and you just throw it out there emotionally and spiritually. And what I'm going to do is just pray that the Holy Spirit meets you right where you are. The Holy Spirit is, is, that, is God who communicates to us, and let's just see what happens. Now, I'm not saying that if you won't do that, that, that you know, you're not courageous, or that you're not strong, or that you're not willing, but if you won't do that, you're, you're, you're probably not that courageous, Right? You're probably not that strong and you're definitely not willing. Because the truth of it is, if you're going to be against something, at least be against something openly. So open up your heart and be against it. I'm good with that. Today's talk is going to be heavy. And I don't mean heavy like in topic. I mean heavy in material. Remember this little girl that I showed you a few weeks back? This is going to be some of you. <laughs> so here's the thing. Take lots of notes. But all the notes are on the app and all the notes are online. So if you miss a quote or you miss something... Everything, literally what I'm preaching right here is online for you to go back and question, tear apart, look up, uh, and so on. And so I'm just inviting you in. I'm inviting you in, accepting that reckless invitation, bringing all your stuff. And now today, what you're going to do today is you are going to really walk with your story before you. Today, we're going to take our first few steps. The first week was deciding to do the hike. The next week was packing the pack. This week, we're taking off on our first mile. And it's going to be different than maybe you thought. And that's my hope for you, is that the Holy Spirit meets you right where you are, that your mile spiritually is experienced exactly how it should be. So I'm not going to uh, pull off the gas, though. I'm not going to take corners slow. And uh, I'm just going to keep going, even when I see people 
emotionally and physically with their faces asking me to stop. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I told you so. And that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> right? If I didn't tell you, then that wouldn't be respectful. But if I'm like, listen, we're about to catch some air. You, what, you had a chance to get out of the car at the gas station. So now it's too late. We're doing 90. So this is what today is going to feel like. And uh, I think it's going to be good, but it's going to be serious. So you ready? ready? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this room right now is a mix of people from all kinds of thinking, all kinds of places, all kinds of backgrounds. I ask God that you do what only you can do and that you meet them square up and in the middle. I ask, Lord, that you lean in as they lean away. I ask, Lord, that you convict in a beautiful, uh, whole-bringing way. I ask that you forgive. I ask that you release. I ask that you woo, Lord, that you bring people close to you. I ask that there's a battle in this room right now for spiritual hearts and that, Lord, you are at the front line. May every person in this room know, God, that you are after them, that you love them, that you want them, that they are valuable, that their, their, their decisions, where they come from, all those things you accept at all, God. And I pray today we would be able to engage in just a little piece of that as we expose more and more and more of our story, not to you, but to us. And so, Lord, we walk out in this first mile with our packs loaded, with that burden of, of wonder around us. We do it together, God, in expectation that you will meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to use a character in the Bible that most people know because I don't want you to be distracted with who a character is. I want you to be distracted by how I'm going to show you this character is unpacking his stuff throughout his life like I believe we're all being called to do in this series, Dragons and Dandelions. That character's name is Moses. Now, you've all heard the story of Moses, but let me tell you the story of Moses from an emotional health standpoint and from a story un, uh, unwoven standpoint, and that's what we're going to look at here in a moment. A couple things, backstory about Moses. Moses was an Israelite born into an Egyptian kingdom. His people were prolific and they were becoming powerful. And so eventually the Egyptians got nervous about the Israelites. And so for one year, Pharaoh said, we're going to kill all the sons that are born, all of the baby sons that are born in order to keep this population thing under control. This is a horrendous thing, a traumatic thing, as you could imagine. They actually, uh, rumor has it, took the babies and threw them into the Nile River where the crocodiles were to eliminate this entire people group and keep them from growing in strength. Moses' mother decides, not my kid. She has her son. She puts him in a wicker basket. And yes, she goes to the river, but she floats him near Pharaoh's daughter where the court of Pharaoh would bathe on a regular basis. And of course, as God has it, Pharaoh's daughter and her court are down there bathing. Here comes this little basket floating in the water. And boom, Moses becomes an adopted son of Pharaoh. He's raised, although an Israelite, although a Jewish person. He's raised as an Egyptian. He's educated as an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. He thinks like an Egyptian. He does all of those things that you're supposed to do. He's trained as a warrior and, and, and in philosophy and science and all those things. And he is beloved by his family. Now, we don't know when Moses discovered that he was actually a, a Hebrew, but we know that he did. And we know that this experience caused some kind of deep tearing in his life. All of us, when we discover things or go through things that change us from who we thought we were to who we then discover we are, go through a tearing. In my life, I remember being 18 years old. My parents had a solid marriage, never had any issues. I came home one day and my dad said, I'm out. 
And I was like, you're out like fishing? Like you're out on a business trip? And he's like, no, I'm leaving your mom. I'm getting a divorce. And it tore me. There is a before divorce Danny and an after divorce Danny. This was something in my own life, in my own situation that, that, that tweaked me and how I saw the world. As a matter of fact, relationships, even to this day, sometimes I think there's an escape clause because I didn't know. I joke a lot about the parachute seats in the back row of the auditorium. That's when the sermon gets too hard and you're like, I'm gone, right? I joke about that. But that came from my story because it was sort of like that with my dad. He sort of, in my world, parachuted out. And so suddenly this tweaks me. Well, Moses one day is walking along the hot sand and suddenly his emotions come to bear upon him. Let's look at Exodus 2, 11 through 12. One day when Moses had grown up, so we know he's an adult, He went out to his people, so he knows he's no longer an Egyptian by breeding, right? And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of, look, there it is again, his people. So we know he's an adult. We know someone has told him, or maybe he looks different, or maybe he just is different. Someone told him somewhere, you're not one of us, you're one of them. He's walking on the sand, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and then it says something snapped inside him. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, that is a huge response, right? Like, if you are walking along and you see someone you don't know beating someone else you don't know, but they both represent something new to your soul that caused tearing in your soul, and then you kill one of them and bury their butts in the sand, you have some emotional stuff you have not dealt with. Like, that's, that's, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about in this series. We do things or don't do things for reasons many times we don't understand. I've met many people. I'm against alcohol. I can't, I can't stand it. I don't want to be around it with nothing to do with it. Oh, were you raised by an alcoholic parent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I've met people. Man, I had one drink and I was hooked. Oh, wow. You, you've been alcohol for, alcoholic for how long? Oh, 10 years. Were you raised by an alcoholic parent? Yeah. Same situation. Same people, but people decide how to respond based on their stories. They don't even know. They just respond. This is what's happening inside this situation. And because this is important, this is critical to you. Write it down. Keep it for yourself. But you own your story or your story owns you. You own your story or your story owns you. There is only one owner. And you either know why you feel that way and own it, or why you feel that way owns you. This is across the board. This isn't just those of us who've done a few years of therapy or those of us who've been traumatized or those of us who had rough. No, this is every person in this room is either owning their story every day or their story is owning them. And sometimes this can look beautiful. Sometimes this can look successful. Sometimes this can, I mean, you're just driven to be this person, not realizing you're trying to please a father that you never had. Not realizing you're trying to make up for something missing inside you. The problem is like Moses, one day you're going to come across a situation that doesn't even make sense to anybody. I don't know him. I don't know him. All I know is that's an Egyptian and those are my people and I haven't stood up for them and I'm done not standing up and snap. You find yourself in the desert with a shovel, and you're like, this did not go how I thought it was going to go. This is a hard Thursday, right? That's the kind of stuff you got to deal with. You got to face that stuff. You got to face that stuff. 
For many of us, this is exactly how we find out what's been chasing us. Exactly. Not because we turned to face it, like we talked about last week, but because it finally caught up and grabbed us by the soul throat. You do not want to be grabbed by the soul throat. You want to turn and face what you've been running from, but it's scary and it's hard and it's important. I shared a while back that, uh, that uh, I had cancer as a kid. I've tried not to bring this too much into the series, but it's just my story, and the series is about stories and dragons and dandelions and things that are big and small to different people in different arenas, and mine happens to be growing up at Dornbecker Hospital till I was 12, 13 years old, and I'm not good with needles, like really, really not good with needles, not like you're not good with needles, most of you, but let, let me, here's an illustration. I had a surgery about 10 years ago. Another one, little beautiful lady came in, super nurturing, very grandma-like. She said, okay, I'm going to put in your IV. And I, was, I began to sweat, and I was present. I mean, at this time, I'm 30 years old, right? And I'm like, here's the deal. You're not going to put that needle in my arm unless you get somebody to help you. <laughs> and she said, she goes, oh, mm, are you afraid of needles? And she waved the needle, right? <laughs> And I looked at her, right, and I thought to myself, I'm going to punch you square in your grandma face right now. <laughs> but I didn't because I know my stuff. I knew enough of my stuff. And I said, ma'am, if you don't go get someone, you and I, like, we're going to roll, right? That's what's going to happen right now, <laughs> right now. And she's like, oh, and she went to give me a needle. And I went, nope, sorry, sorry. And she went to do it. And I said, nope, God, I'm really sorry. Here you go. Nope. And she went, you're, you're serious. And I said, I am. I was serious 10 minutes ago when you waved that needle in my face. So she said two things. One, I'm going to switch to a little baby needle for you. And I don't think she said it nicely. She said it like, hmm. And then she got two large men. <laughs> they came in. They said, what do you want us to do? I said, you need to hold me down because this is just how it's going to work. I'm just telling you right now. And they're like, okay. They held me down. And then, of course, the guys chuckled as she pulled out this little tiny butterfly needle. <laughs> These two guys are holding me down, you know, like I'm in an army movie, and it's like, just cut the arm off, man, right? It's this little tiny needle. She stuck me. I arched, right? I arched like a scene from Poltergeist or something, and then I collapsed. Boom, boom, boom. She was done. She was great. She looked. They looked. Everybody looked, and I was like, nice job, guys. Nice job, right? She understood what I was dealing with in my story. Needles are dragons to me. It's silly to other people, but to me, they are. When I left, she gave me this sticker right here on my chest. <laughs> I had a big stupid sticker. My wife came in and she's like, oh, was it the needle thing? And I was like, yeah. I told him though. <laughs> I had a physical this week. This week. Because of this stinking series. And I'm like, man, I need to just face some of my own fears. I'm telling people to face fears. And I knew that I needed to get a physical. It's been 10 years. I go in, I get my physical. Okay, cool. Things are good. And then she says to me, before we leave, this is a doctor. She says, you need a tetanus shot. And I, and I said, oh, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> this is this week. This is Thursday, right? And I said, that's not going to happen. And she goes, I don't understand. Do you have some kind of, you know, I, you're a pastor, right? I knew that. Like, she was trying to figure out, like, were you in a war? Like, what happened to you? And I was like, oh, no, no, I just had cancer as a kid. And I, and I, I want to get this quote right. I said, I'm not good with needles. And she said, that's okay. I'm a fallen Catholic and I'm not good with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
I was like, do it. The principle is just because you're not good with something doesn't mean you don't need it. You've got to face your stuff or your stuff will face you. You've got to own your story or your story will own you. The Bible talks about these people who don't own their stuff. It says things like in 2 Corinthians, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They don't see what's out in front of them. They don't see what this world's trying to sell them that's going to work when it really never is. Matthew 15 says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He says, give the world what they want and what the world wants. Other worldly people want as well. But if you can have eyes to see your stuff and how it plays out in your story, then you will miss the pits this world so often falls into. Jesus ultimately talks about it, these people who are unwilling to see things about themselves, and he says it really well. Matthew 7, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, bro, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The bro was added by me, Danny Translation. Those of you writing down. Jesus is so cool, he calls people bro. This is like the essence of what it means to be willing to walk inside your story, inside your stuff, to agree to go, to pack the bag, to go, everything, not to pretend like there's something going with you on the journey that you shouldn't have brought or should have brought. No, you bring it all, and then walking along, you start looking at other people's lives, and you start feeling judged by them, or you start feeling a sense of judgment towards them. And Jesus says, no, 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 time out. You just walk with you. See, Moses had stuff. He goes back before Pharaoh, right? He goes back before Pharaoh, but not willingly. A lot of people skip this part of the story. They don't understand. Moses first spent 40 years in Midian. In Midian, after he kills that Egyptian, he runs away. And for 40 years, he, he hides. And he says, I'm worthless. I'm not important. My past has destroyed me. He hides in Midia. He gets married. He becomes a shepherd. And he's just doing his thing. He's just hanging out in life. And all of a sudden, he's walking along. And there's a bush that's burning that doesn't burn up that starts speaking to him. And he walks up to the bush. And it's God who asks him to be his vessel. And you know what God says? I need you to go back. I need you to go back to Egypt and free those people. And immediately, think about it, Moses is triggered. Because God says, I see my people being oppressed. Moses is like, yeah, the last time I saw somebody being oppressed, they ended up in the desert. <laughs> so Moses is sitting there and he's, he's triggered by what God says to him. And the truth of it is, what he doesn't know is that God has prepared him for 40 years to be this perfect vessel of his power. It's Moses' own mistakes that now have made him perfect, a perfect steward of a power you'll see that no single person has ever wielded before. God needed someone empty of their self so God could fill them up with what he wanted to do. And he poured Moses out. All of you in this room, you think of your past, you think of your mistakes, you think there's some kind of scorecard and that somehow I'm on the stage because I scored different than you. And the reality is that's just more of the world thinking. It's more blind leading blind. The only difference between you and me is nothing. There is no difference between any spiritual guide and you. There is no difference between anybody that you walk across except for their willingness to be nothing before God so that he can fill them with his something. 
I like this. All of us eventually need to be broken by God in order to bear a great power of God. If you want to do things for God, you need to release things before God. Stop thinking you're going to outskill set. It's not some big video game. You don't get to put all your experience points in different things that you want to be good at. The reality is all it really takes to stand before God is what it took for Moses to stand before God, and that's nothing. He brought nothing, and God knows it. Listen to this conversation, Exodus 3, verse 9. God speaking, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, the Lord says, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, whoa, whoa, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, the Lord, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. If I came across a speaking bush of fire and it asked me to do something, the only way I'm saying no and having that kind of response is if something inside my story is triggered by speaking bushes of fire. Like, that's it. I, every other person on the planet would go, you're clearly God, and I'll clearly do whatever you want, when and how high. Right? That's it. But Moses is like, ah, whoa, because his stuff is boiling up because he saw the oppression and he reacted wrongly and it cost him his life. It cost him his whole world. And so he says, God, I already got a little good world. I got a good thing going right here. I don't want to lose it. So I realize you want somebody to go to Egypt and actually protect these people, but it needs to be somebody other than me. This is because, I'll put it on the screen, the higher the intensity of a reaction, the greater the likelihood it's connected to our stories. When something happens to you and you respond way out of control, stop and ask, what was that about? Why did that happen? The higher the intensity of a reaction, the greater the likelihood it's connected to our stories. God says, I want you to go save some people. And Moses goes, oh man, last time I saved people, I was 40. Now I'm 80. I don't think I can do another 40 years for you. And God says, but Moses, I'll go with you. Somehow Moses is willing. He's obedient and he walks out. He stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't think so, man. You're super old and you smell. I don't think you're going to take anybody out of here. I'm Pharaoh. Look how shiny I am. My brows are on fleek. Like everything's cool, right? Everything's good about me. Nothing's good about you. Moses says, okay. He leaves and 10 plagues come to remind Pharaoh of who's really in charge of everything. And into the desert they go. Now, here's where Moses' story is the most clearly seen. Lots and lots of things happen in the desert. But I want to talk to you about one repeating miracle that happens three times. The first time it happened was when the Jews were fresh out of Egypt. They arrived in a place called Mara, and there in that place, all the water that they had ran out, and the only water they found was bitter. So the Jews complained. God told Moses to throw a bitter tree branch into the water, and it miraculously sweetened the water and made it drinkable, and the Jews stopped complaining. A short while after this, they were traveling along in Rephidim, and also, again, the water ran out. Now, these people at this time are getting pretty frustrated, for these people are slaves. They're used to being provided for. They're used to not having to think about these kind of things. And when they're not provided for, that's when they rebel against the masters. And Moses appears to be God's master who's not providing well. But Moses was humble. He waits upon the Lord. 
And then God, tired of these people who are complaining, does something for the people and for Moses that's incredible. He asked Moses to go up near a rock in front of all the people. And with his staff, the same one that parted the Red Sea, he tells Moses, strike that rock. And so Moses, in front of all the people, right? I mean, this is straight up Jedi stuff right here. He lifts his big staff. Everybody's looking. And he goes, and he smashes the rock and water gushes out. Not a little bit of water, enough water to feed a couple million people, all their cattle and everything. This is an epic maneuver. People take a step back and they go, clearly God is with Moses. I don't think we should mess with him anymore. God gives authority to Moses. He blesses Moses for his obedience earlier. And he finally uses perhaps the same staff, if you will, that struck down the Egyptian to bring life. He redeems Moses. This is what God does. He redeems. And he always does it in these really cool ways that tie into our stories. He never does it completely different. He does it within our story just to remind us, I got you and I've always had you. Moses is now suddenly respected, and their 40-year journey into the desert begins. Tradition has it, the Jewish people believed that that rock would, would move with them every single morning. So they would actually drink from it, they would travel on, they would go to sleep, and the next morning that rock would be near their camp, again, flowing with water. For 40 years, this, wa- this rock provided all the water all these people needed, and everybody knew partly it was because of Moses. But throughout the 40 years, the people would get whiny. And they would weigh down on Moses and his story. And they would, they would make fun of him and they would tease him. I guarantee you, they would ask him about his Egyptian heritage. And they would ask him about this. And you've got to think, within the nation of Israel, most likely hardly anybody was Moses' age. For everyone born who was a boy around his age was killed by Pharaoh. He would have been an oddity. People older, sure. People younger, yeah. But nobody like him. And so he lives with this stuff. And he never really deals with it. Until eventually, a third time, they run out of water. Numbers chapter 20. This is very many years into the future of the people in Israel wandering the desert. This is what it says, verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? I would have asked about our kids, but these people really like their cows, so that's (laughs) just a different thing. Verse 5, And why you have made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So this time... God instructs Moses to speak to the rock. Now, there's all kinds of Jesus correlation in here that that we're not going to get into, but the Messiah is sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament from the very beginning to the end. And I just want you, just for a second, maybe do your own study, but there's bitter water. Jesus was given bitter wine, right? And a branch was thrown into the water. Jesus is the branch of life, and it was made clean. And then Jesus, who is the rock, was struck or pierced on a cross, We know that. And now God is saying this rock eventually will be one that all you have to do to have access to Christ is speak to him. 
Okay, there's all kinds of beautiful correlations, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of wonderful programming happening here that God is unveiling for us. But Moses, see, Moses hasn't dealt with all his stuff. And so Moses says, oh, okay, okay, these people want water? All right, I'll give them some water. And so he gathers all the people so they can all see once again him and the situation and then listen to what it says, verse 9. And listen to it with attitude. Okay, this is 40 years of wandering in the desert with a bunch of whiny people who've been teasing and making fun and belittling and whatever else you can imagine. This man is fried. And he says, and Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. Okay, they're all there. He listened to God. Together before the rock, he listened to God. And then he opened his mouth. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels. This is not what God said to do. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And then suddenly Moses lift up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. This is epic rebellion on Moses' part. This is him saying, God, you've had enough you're, you've done enough. Let me deal with these people now. Let me deal with you. I'm going to deal with all these people right now. Right? I'm going to go Darth Maul on all these people right now in this room. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to strike this rock, not once, but twice. And I'm going to make sure they know who's in charge. You're in charge, but I represent. And I'm sick of you guys complaining. And this is what's so beautiful about our God. Bam, bam, he strikes the rock twice and water comes out. Our God uses the most unlikely and broken people to still bring thirst-quenching love to his children. We need to be very careful that we don't judge when God blesses people, even when they're in their own rebellion and brokenness, because at the end of the day, do you know what God cares about? He cares about your thirst. He's living water, and he will use some busted-up people and some broken situations. Stop looking at a situation to determine if it's God by who's leading it. Look past who's leading it to see, does it line up with scripture? Does it line up with spirit? They'll never contradict themselves. God said he'll take care of us in the desert. God said he's going to watch over us. This guy seems like he's having an off day, but he struck the rock. And you know what? Water's water, and it's clean, and it's good. Let's drink. But so many times we're like, we're not drinking this water because you hit that rock twice, and God said to speak to it. God uses all kinds of unlikely people and situations to bring glory to himself to take care of you. This is why we don't hold our pastors on pedestals. This is why we don't hold these sort of spiritual guides above us. We are the same. We are in it with you. We mess up. It's broken. It's all just part of it. But at the end of the day, God will never, ever let you down. He will never stop quenching your thirst because he is alive and he is the water that brings all healing. Amen? Amen. But God is dead serious about when you talk for him or represent him. And this man, who at one point was called the most humble man on earth, he took a line, he crossed the line, and listened to what it says, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, listen close and listen with some attitude. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses and Aaron, folks, did not go to the promised land, all because they struck a rock instead of spoke to it. 
You and I, if we don't deal with our stuff, we will be confused when we're supposed to speak or when we're supposed to strike. And those two things God takes very, very seriously. We are called to be his children in this community. And sometimes we got to strike some stuff down, some broken thinking. This whole idea that you've got truth in front of you. I know we got a bunch of people in here who don't believe in God. I'm just going to give you this because it's almost done. And if you leave now, it'll be super awkward for you, not me. <laughs> there, is, there is no truth inside you. None. None. The Bible is super clear that Jesus is the way and that he is the truth. He is the only truth. You don't get to determine what's true for you is not true for me and true for you. No, that's not even how truth works in philosophy. Okay, Truth is the baseline. It is the, Everything else is measured against it. Jesus Christ speaks the truth and everything else measures against it. He is the great conductor and he determines the harmony. Without that, everybody's just playing instruments, although beautifully, we've said it before, it's just a cacophony of noise, and that's why some of you don't feel a part of anything, even though you're playing in your violin and tuba so beautifully, but you're not in sync with any other harmonies within this world because you don't listen to the conductor who determines click, 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 start, stop, break. You don't listen, and because you don't listen, you end up with a life out of rhythm, and that's why it's so hard for you to find the joy and happiness that you're looking for. Now, you don't have to believe me. I don't care. You will find out one day when you stand before him. And you will think of this message. And you will say, wow, sure wish I would have played my instrument in harmony with creation and what God called me to be. Moses played out of harmony. God said, I want you to whisper. Let's just start quiet. Let's teach these people that if you can speak to this rock and an inanimate object brings forth life, how much more powerful will I be? And Moses says, yeah, but you forgot about me, Lord. You forgot about me. I'm going to make sure they know, too, that I'm the man. And in the end, he had to stand before them. And you know what he had to say? I was disobedient. And I'm a lesson for you. And I don't get to go to the promised land. And I love you. Don't be like me. That's how God used the end of Moses' life. And it brought incredible glory to God. And I even think Moses probably found peace in it. But we have decisions to make. What part do we want to play? Do you want to be a lesson for other people? Or do you want to be a beautiful sound? This is what God is showing us through teaching, through this teaching and through the working out of our stuff. Recently, just this week, along with everything else, this sermon has just been tearing up my world. Bless my wife and a few others who have to work with me. Uh, I realized just recently something else. I realized that, that when you don't deal with your stuff, when you don't, when you don't recognize um, that, uh, I'll put this on the screen, that the less we know about our stories, the more dangerous we are to those we seek to help, like Moses. The less we know about our stories, the more dangerous we are to those we seek to help. We find ourselves returning to things that were beneficial to us in different situations that are no longer beneficial to us now. So for instance... Does anybody, has anybody figured out yet why I plant churches well? Like, I get to help people. I get to coach people in planting churches. I thought I was just gifted. True story. I was like, nah, I just see it, and I get it, and I do it. The reality is that my story is tied into my ability to plant churches. Because when you're a sick kid, you learn real quick to endure no matter what. This is why at Kessid we respect taking punches. It's something that leaks out in all my messages. Right? Take a punch. Be able to be a Christian that gets offended and doesn't attack in, in return. Be able to stand firm. This is something I learned with diagnosis, with treatment, with planning that, I've, that I can endure. And so here's the reality. You don't need to be a pastor to plan a church. You just need to be a leader who can endure. 
The pastoring stuff has come later and with great cost because the skill sets that I use to plant the church right now, I no longer need. I don't need to endure blessing. I don't need to endure new buildings. I don't need to endure incredible staff members or great leadership or wonderful elders. I'm like, I'm like this gear shift, right? This was the, how I described to somebody. Okay, most people drive around in too high. This is how they live. It's good in the rain. As long as you don't get messy, your life doesn't end up in a ditch, right? It's okay. When you go through struggles or trials, you shift into four high. It's got a lot more traction. You have the ability to kind of slow things down, but you can still do 50 plus, and you can still move around through life, and it's pretty secure. All right, I've been through some things I can endure. When you go through trauma, you have this gear you discover called four low, and four low is purposeful and angsty and bitey, and if you've ever been a passenger with somebody driving four low, it's really kind of jerky and whiny and loud, right? But four low is powerful, and four low is for the purpose of getting you unstuck, getting you through your trauma. Well, here's the thing. Four low doesn't benefit you on the freeway or on your asphalt driveway or in your backyard playing with your kids. Four low really doesn't benefit you at all unless you have an incredible amount of trauma that you want to be for somebody else. I realized just this week, I have spent a majority of my ministry career in four low. So I wrote this sentence and then I got it approved because it came across a little meh. Here's what this means about me because of this four low reality. This means that although I'm strong at helping people survive their own personal nuclear explosions, I'm not so good when they drop their emotional groceries. I'm like, you'll be fine. And they're like, but I'm really hurting. And I'm like, are you going to die? See you later. And they're like, I don't understand. Why is he like this? <laughs> and, it, and it hurts me, and it hurts relationships, and it hurts people around me. And it took that reality to know about my story to realize that in some situations, I'm probably fairly dangerous. Now, go back to the gear shift. I want to talk about one other person I didn't. And you're in this room as well. You're the person in the room who's super neutral. And all you do is stand and rev your engine and hope your buddies push you around town. <laughs> you just smell a lot, you waste a lot of gas, and you don't really accomplish anything. Everywhere you go, you're like, I need five friends in the bathroom, out of the bathroom, online. You team up around everything because you're neutral in your world. And you've got to decide. It, I'd be, rather be in four low and taking my punches and figure out how to get to four high and then two high and be able to flow with the world in harmony than sit in neutral and think I'm cruising along, doing well in life. Some of you in the room, you are neutral in everything you do and you need to stop. You need to stop, evaluate, put your life in gear and pay a cost and be involved and bring your stuff and bring your story. So how do we change this? How do we impact this? Well, let me tell you what I was given and it worked for me and it's quite simple. People actually change how they act in a fairly predictable way. And I'm just gonna use that acronym for you because I think it's simple and it worked for me. The first thing you need to do is have awareness. You need to have awareness. You need to ask people you trust to be honest with you about where you are, about how you respond that they see as different. I promise you, if you saw this, you would change it, but you can't see it, which is why you have to become aware through the people around you that love you and that you trust. You need to have awareness. Then second, after you have awareness, you need to make a choice. 
I think I shared this last week in one of the services. There's really only three seconds between a reaction and a response. When stuff happens to me, I generally know what I'm going to say before the other person has even stopped breathing. I'm pretty good at counter-counterpoint. I've learned now to take a step back. I'm learning now to take a step back. Breathe for three seconds and form a response instead of a reaction. This is because earlier I have become aware that this is my habit and some of my problems. Lastly, trust in the transformation. This has to do with asking God to break your heart. Asking God to, as the scripture says, Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. But we love that heart of stone because it's safe and it's protected and it's really hard to break. But God says, but I need that heart of stone so I can put a breakable heart in you because Jesus Christ lived with a breakable heart. And you're going to be more like Jesus. And you're going to be pierced emotionally. And you're going to be flooded with grief and you're going to be struggling but every step of the way you're going to be giving more and more of yourself to Christ who walked this path ahead of you that you're being asked today to walk this is how you learn to act differently through your awareness your choices and your transformation in this way you then can walk into a situation and know through the Holy Spirit whether it's one you're supposed to speak in or strike in But when you do them differently, you damage people around you. And the saddest part is, oftentimes you don't even know why. You just think this world's out to get you. You just think this life's so tough. And really, you're just speaking in rooms you're supposed to strike. And so you get rolled over. Or you're striking in rooms you're supposed to speak. And people run away in the corners, bruised. Makes you tough to be around. Makes your family tough to connect with. Makes it tough for you to carry this calling God has laid upon your life. This is what we get to do together. We get to face these dragons and dandelions. And we get to recognize they're different for everybody. But they're all the same to Christ who promises he will help us overcome them. In closing, God's word talks a lot about spiritual blindness, people who can't see this, but it also talks about God restoring sight to those blind people. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, listen to this, this is you and I, liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's me. That's you. We're all depressed with our stuff. This world, man, it is not an easy place to live in. But our God is bigger and stronger and bolder, but he doesn't play games. And he asks you to step forward and receive the invitation of his love. He asks you to bring all your humanity, and he asks you to walk with him step by step, no matter how scary it might be, to look within yourself, to be aware, to make a choice, to transform, to act differently. He wants you to be someone that he can use to do incredible things, speaking incredible words of life or striking down broken thought. These are beautiful things that God has called us to do within the symphony of his world that he's building but if you aren't willing to listen if I'm not willing to listen and play my part then I will get wooed away by this world I will get 
excited by the cacophony that loudness brings with it and that power brings with it. And one day I will lose myself. Like maybe today some of you have lost yourself. And I will miss this promised land of life that I can live right now like some of you are missing right now. And so I, I want to pray a prayer. It's a simple prayer of light. I'm going to ask that your heads bow and your eyes close. Even those of you in the room that you're still wrestling with this God you don't know if you believe in, that's all right. I'm going to ask that, Lord, right now in this room, you would just fill people with your presence. You would make them know that you have brought them here for a reason. May something said today, Lord, feel like it was said specifically for them. Holy Spirit, may you just meet people where they are, completing them, binding their wounds, restoring them, forgiving them, filling them with grace and love and eyes to see. May darkness, God, just be removed from the burden they carry. May instead, Lord, your presence fill their lives. In this room, if you have never accepted the light of Jesus Christ, I just want to give you that opportunity right now. I just want you to pray and just say, God, it is me. And I am tired of running. I've lived in darkness too long. I believe that your son died on a cross. I believe that I need to be forgiven. And so I confess, God, my emptiness to you, my brokenness to you. Please find me, Lord, for I am lost. Please protect me, Lord, for I am afraid. Please remember me, Lord, for I feel forgotten. Please heal me, Lord, because I am hurt. Please restore me, Lord, because I am so, so tired. God, as we take just a few moments to reflect on the light that you bring us, we praise you in advance for the way you meet our needs, the way you're building this family, the way you're leading this church. We praise you in advance, Lord, for being our senior leader, our guide, our father, and our king. We just worship you now as we reflect upon all you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.